Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Good evening, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. Uh, tonight, we're going to have uh, Jack Reed from the Community Planet Foundation once again, and uh, now we're finally getting to the part of the book that actually several members of the Zeitgeist Movement have asked me to specifically do the show about, which is the portion of the show, uh, the book about consensus decision-making uh, tactics. And uh, today we're going to have, once again, a panel uh, to help discuss the issue of consensus, and perhaps we will arrive at a consensus about consensus. Would that be your consensus, Jack? It's not a consensus. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, I was on mute there for a second. But... <laughs> no, that's, that's Bob Tuscan, by the way, theylie.com. <laughs> I was going to ask you all to introduce yourself. Bob jumped the gun. And uh, you know Jack, and say hi, Chibi. Hello. You're supposed to say hi, Chibi. That's what you always do. <laughs> and um, uh, another first-time panelist, not first-time caller, we have Dr. Zinn. Say hello. Hello, everybody. Where did you get your PhD, doctor? I I, I did not. I, it just attacked me. <laughs> <laughs> PhD of life, I can say that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, all right, folks. Uh, basically, today we're going to be discussing consensus. Uh, as essentially, you know, Jack, you you talk about how you have actual classes for consensus. Do you want to explain that to the listeners? Uh, yes. Um, in a few words, the there's a lot of people out there who are who are talking who are teaching consensus decision making. People who do weekend workshops, people who go to uh, eco communities even and and try and help them with their consensus process. What we've learned is that it's a real evolution in consciousness to to get there and, and the trainings that we do are five days long. So it's 35 to 40 hours because it really requires moving into that consciousness of the highest good for all. If we can, for us to really optimally do consensus decision-making, I'll say more about that later. Okay. Excellent. Um, well, I guess then basically I could start reading from that portion of the book. Um, I want to, first of all, thank everybody for tuning in tonight. If this is your first time listening to V Radio, please check out my website, v-radio.org. Uh, there you can check out archives of shows like this one, several more shows with Jack, uh, shows with Peter Joseph, Ben Stewart, Jock Fresco, Roxanne Meadows, um, Sam Bazo from Blue Gold World, Blue Gold World Water Wars, um, all kinds of good guests, all kinds of good material. Even if you're not into the resource-based economy model, you'll probably find something there that you'll find interesting, um, including my show yesterday uh, with Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Free Domain Radio, uh, which went pretty well. So anyway, uh, that all being said, I guess we'll go ahead and jump right into it. Uh, there was in particular, some of the chapters were asking me because I guess they wanted to uh, go over this topic at their chapter meeting. So let's discuss consensus. All right. You're going to have to bear with me, folks, because I have a cold. Um, there's something else I wanted to tell you is uh, if I did not sound as up to snuff as normal during my show with Stefan yesterday, it is because I was running a fever and had a pounding sinus headache the entire time. So I don't have a headache anymore, but I definitely still have the cold. How do we reach consensus? When we were meeting to generate the community planet description, 
we realized right away that perhaps the most important question to consider in designing a community in harmony with the principle of the highest good of all is, how are we going to govern ourselves? The age-old, supposedly politically correct model is democracy's majority rule system. Unfortunately, this is, this is the very system that has swept across the planet, resulting in the mess in which we currently find ourselves. So what were the alternatives? Through the centuries, many groups like some of the Native American cultures and the Quakers have successfully used consensus decision-making. Right away, we love the idea because a community of people living together really do need to be a living in harmony with one another while still providing for individual needs and considerations. Popularly, consensus is thought of as a decision via compromise in which everyone loses something so you, don't so you don't get confused with how politicians use the term. We describe consensus as differing with other forms of decision-making because it stresses the cooperative development of a decision with people working with each other rather than competing against each other. Everyone has a chance to be heard and to come into harmony with the decision. Thus, a decision is reached that is acceptable to all, a decision that everyone can say yes to. There is no voting and therefore no losing minority. Because the essence of consensus is creativity and accessing the highest good for all concerned, there also isn't the need for compromise. So in the spirit of the highest good of all, the question of how we not only govern ourselves but also do our decision-making in the community became, how do we reach consensus? Meeting weekly for months, we brainstormed, explored, and sometimes argued about how we could... Um, do consensus decision-making in a community of up to 500 people and still have it work. It was a monumental yet fun endeavor, which finally paid off in the very unique design which you will, which you will read about in the guidelines section. Through the whole process, we ourselves adopted the consensus process, and every decision we made after that point was always done by the process of consensus. When we ask, how do you reach consensus? The question stands in stark contrast to the fundamental question that the governments run by the power brokers have asked through the centuries. Their question has basically been, how can we impose our will over the greatest number of people with the most efficiency and the least resistance in order to further our own self-interest, and how can we get it past people so they, don't no they either don't notice or don't object? Make no mistake about it, this has been the basic agenda on the part of the forces that have controlled governments, also, whether it's decision-making in businesses, organizations, or groups of all types, the most powerful and outspoken have always had a disproportionate amount of influence over these decisions that affect our lives. The everyone-for-themselves approach has been characterized by a very definite lack of true consensus. It's time that we start asking how we can make decisions on all levels that work for and include everyone. To do that, we need to consider the deeper questions we are asking. Given that, we are enough, uh, that, given that there are enough resources and manpower for all of us to live abundantly, what is the problem? And how can we live together for the highest good of all life on the planet? This takes creativity. It takes challenging our assumptions about how we have, have to live together, and it takes respecting and valuing each other at all life on the planet. We can do this, and we must. A consensus decision-making system is only workable when there is the commitment and consciousness to go for the highest good of all. However, as I said before, if we're going to continue to have a world where going, uh, we're going to have to start making it work for everyone. This first model community will require the consciousness of committing to go for the highest good of all. Then, 
when people see how much more freedom and abundance they can have through cooperation, that will probably be the most significant thing the community will contribute to changing the world. As McLaughlin and Davidson wrote in Builders of the Dawn about the Philadelphia Life Center move, uh, movement for a new society, they see consensus as a concrete example of the real healing work that is needed in the world, the elimination of power, relationships between people, and the celebration of our mutual humanity. It teaches people to open up on a more spiritual level, on an interactive and intuitive level with others. Majority rule is a co-op, I'm sorry, is a competitive win-lose approach. You win when you get the most votes and you lose when you don't. Because you're trying to prove that you're right and the opposition is wrong, there is often much divisive arguing. Also, people listen to the arguments not really out of concern for the needs of others, but to try to develop counter-arguments. Historically, we voted for so many issues and for so many people that have lost uh, that have lost that none of us really feel that we are represented politically and that our needs are being met. The majority rule system has resulted in all of us, except for the power brokers, feeling that we are a minority group. As a result, we usually vote for the lesser of two evils. We vote against someone or something rather than voting for someone or something in an election. That's why most election commercials focus on trying to give us reasons to vote against the opposition, because they're so terrible. They do this negative electioneering because it works. I'd be embarrassed as an adult to engage as a candidate the typical election process of these rather immature power-based accusations. Yet that's what happens now more than a frank discussion of platforms and values. In our democracy, we also see partisan politics every time any high-profile issue comes up. The other party almost always takes the opposite side. They do this just to be against whatever decision is made, and they do it purely in an attempt to try to discredit the other side and to try to win the againstness vote. As we all have experienced, there is a hierarchy of power in majority rule groups where the opinions of leaders, money interests, and outspoken players carry a vastly disproportionate influence over the rest of the group. People outside of the power game who may be shy in speaking out or have difficulty putting their ideas into words may be ignored even though their ideas may be better. Also, because whoever the minority is in the moment can so easily be dispensed with by just outvoting them, the notion that everyone can participate in a democratic system is not really accurate. With so many people and their input being left out of the process, the quality of majority rule decisions is also diminished. The process often boils down to voting between two positions proposed by the main factions. Innovative and creative approaches and solutions are often not considered, and systems approach solutions are virtually never considered. Supposedly, this is to expedite the process, but instead this causes monumental inefficiency as the sub-quality decisions negatively impact our lives. Those decisions then have to be redecided again and again through the years because they either don't work or are short-sighted in the long run. Also, because people are left out of the process, they may easily feel justified in feeling resentful and not supporting and or sabotaging any given decision. In true consensus decision-making, everyone has a chance to participate and be heard. The softer voices and the more unique approaches all have the opportunity to be responded to by the group. Also, 
Not just logic, but feelings and intuition are valued as well. As an example, when a group of us were meeting to create a description of how the community would work, there were a few times when most of us would decide upon what we thought was a good logical approach to describe an aspect of the community. However, one of our, our I'm sorry, one more intuitively oriented person would say, it isn't right, and really stuck to that. When we'd ask her what wasn't right, she couldn't give us a logical response. After some initial frustration, because we all needed to be in agreement on a decision, we eventually started sharing new ideas and brainstorming beyond what we felt was the obvious. In that process, we then always came up with a new idea which we, which we would get excited about and develop into a much better approach than our initial one. She would then say, this is it. After a while, we began to trust the intuition and feelings of the group members. Sometimes those feelings were really our own individual issues, but the safety and loving support of the group allowed us to rapidly clear those concerns. It has been said that consensus has an advantage over majority rules because the best thinking of the entire group is included. But my experience is that the synergy of the group creates even more than the sum of the parts. In true consensus decision-making, the process of creating a decision that works for everyone brings in the element of creativity as well as the qualities of caring and concern for others. We really have to listen to and respond to the needs and concerns of others in that process of going for the highest good of all. Innovative, high-quality solutions are reached, and the support of the group in implementing those decisions is assured. While this may sound too good to be true, keep in mind that a prerequisite for living in this community must be that a resident is committed to going for the highest good of all. This does not all mean giving up the individuality but it does mean not imposing one's ego position on the group, and it means that all residents are committed to looking at their own personal issues, issues that may seem to have nothing to do with the issue being decided. The group supports this exploration by creating an atmosphere of safety within the group that allows people to relax and really tune into their inner thoughts and feelings rather than having to defend themselves. Consensus is not group consciousness, but rather it requires people to be honest and mature and to express what their needs are, where they're at, and what will work for them. While the final decision may not always be everyone's personal first choice, it will be one that serves the highest good of all concerned, one that everyone feels that they can at least support. As opposed to the disempowerment in our current democratic society, it will be exciting for people to become reinvolved with the decisions that affect our lives. Quoting from Community Planet's consensus training materials, consensus versus other models. In consensus decision-making, each participant takes a leadership position by contributing 100% in sharing information, feelings, thoughts, intuition, loving, compassion, inspiration for going for the highest good, etc. In traditional decision-making models, many of the key decisions that affect our lives are made by others, and we then try to individually control our own little ten acres to fit within the rules. This has led to isolation and alienation within individuals and between people. These traditional models tend to be patriarchal, power-based systems with centralized decision-making. In consensus decision-making, there is empowerment of the individual. Each person is important, and each person uh, must stand forth in his or, own, or her own integrity. But it is a new age of leadership, not me first or my needs first, 
but rather each of us must stand forth to recognize our inherent oneness and make it work for all of us. To do this, each person must not only be responsible for themselves, but also for the whole group. Participating fully. True consensus requires full participation by all involved. That may look like a range of behavior from sharing your concerns and or creativity to just being really present, listening and supporting, and holding a positive focus while putting good energy into the room. Individuality versus highest good. We must balance the idea of individuality and responsibility for ourselves with going for the highest good of all concerned. In consensus, it is important to not use our individuality against the group, but rather for others. It is now time on our planet to drop the old consciousness of separation and make life work for all of us. Because individuality and individual self-interest are so highly valued in our culture, it's time to clarify how individual needs interface with the highest good for all model of living. Does making life work for everyone mean that we have to sacrifice our self-expression and individual needs? Not at all. In fact, with more support and less stress pressures from life, people will have much more of an opportunity for expression and for getting their needs met. Sure, people are responsible for their own self-interest, but to have a quality life, what we must understand is that getting our needs met in a truly optimal way means living happily, healthy, and uh, I'm sorry, means having happy, healthy, and abundant people in a healthy environment around us. Getting individual needs met means considering the big picture, considering the whole context within which we live. Self-indulgence at the expense of others ends up sabotaging the very self-interest we're after. The immediate wins that people go after are often really not in one's self-interest in the long run if those wins come at the expense of the planet or any of its people. It is not a rich life with rich and happy surroundings when those around us have to struggle to get ahead and are stressed out and not having a lot of fun in their lives. It really limits our opportunities when our neighbors have no time or energy to share with us. In a highest good approach to living together, we can create abundance for all. Then our self-interest is achieved with having happy people around us who can really share and appreciate our successes. We must expose the myth that cooperation, uh, sorry, that cooperation means compromising our own self-interest. Remember that the systems theory tells us that all things are interconnected. We can either choose to continue to go for our immediate gratification, which later can work against all of us, or choose to lift everyone. We call this latter approach enlightened self-interest because it encompasses the fact that we are all interrelated and is the only approach which will even work for us individually over time. With everyone having input into the process, you might think you may uh, you might think that it may take too long to make decisions. While that may be true at times, the long-term benefit is that the time is actually saved by making much higher quality decisions instead of having to continuously work to correct poor quality decisions that didn't include the needs of everyone in the environment. As people gain trust, fa um, um, I'm sorry, as people gain trust in the in and experience with consensus, the process gets faster and faster without loss of quality. Also, because of the participatory nature of consensus, it's difficult to work for work consensus with more than 12 people in a group. Therefore, for our community to work, consensus in a group of up to 500 residents required an innovative approach. Perhaps the best way to share that solution is to just quote our community planet description. How do we reach consensus? 
Perhaps the most essential question for community living is, how do we reach consensus? We decided that in our community, we would all have a direct role in the ongoing decision-making. The key to doing this is that all residents belong to hubs of about a dozen people. In addition to being a support group, these resident hubs are where the key issues of guiding the community are explored and decided. They are also 12 focus areas which deal with the work and planning of the 12 questions of how we live together. People working in the same focus area also form a second group of hubs called focus hubs. To prevent special interest groups and individual personalities from taking control, we have a set of checks and balances. With everyone belonging to both a resident hub and at least one focus hub, the community has the benefit of many perspectives. Also, all the information about what is happening within the community is available on the Community Link computer so everyone can be informed about all community proceedings and activities. Since everyone who joined the community has shared the vision and agreed to the guidelines of the community, there is already a strong basis for consensus. However, when differences of opinion do occur, we value the importance of working to re resolution so we can all move forward in cooperation and in greater oneness Essences. How do we reach consensus? By creating a positive atmosphere for people to communicate and participate. By involving everyone in the decision making. By encouraging the natural leadership of each person. By making participation in the decision making creative, spontaneous, and fun. By supporting and assisting individuals in reaching their personal goals. By making decisions that support the community affirmation by creating decisions where everyone wins, by keeping the guidelines dynamic, flexible, and simple, by listening to the truth within each other and responding with kindness, consideration, and loving honesty. He says, while I'm editing this and rereading these essences, I have nothing more to add. They stand for themselves. Guidelines. The decision-making structure. This section may seem a little complex at first reading, Referring to the Community Planet Hub System chart on the next page would be helpful. Fortunately, I can't show them the chart, but... Essence Hubs. Each residence belongs to a small decision-making support group. Main Hub. One resident from each of the Essence Hubs participates in the Main Hub on a rotating basis. Focus Hubs. Each resident belongs to at least one of these hubs. There is at least one hub for each of the 12 focus areas. These focus hubs make up the entire working structure of the community. Management Forum. Representatives from the 12 focus areas make up this group. Essence Hubs. Deal with community essence issues and the generalities of working of the community. Consist of a suggested size of about 12 people maximum. Can consist of family members and or friends, make it a, a fun group of people to hang out with and support one another and discuss and explore interesting issues. Who choose to be together. Must have representatives from at least X different focus hubs and may not consist of people all from one focus hub. X equals one-third of the total number in the group. The idea is to have a broad representation from the 12 working structures of the community, both so that there is a broader base of information and experience available for exploration and creativity, and so that we don't have highly polarized essence group hubs. Focus hubs. Deal with the specific details of how to implement the vision and the direction of the essence hubs, through the main hub. Our support coordination groups for accomplishing the work within the community. Each job or section of work in the community is one of the 12 focus hubs, our 12 how do we questions groups. Finally, the decision making process, community decisions are coordinated in the main hub essence hubs. 
<laughs> a lot of hubs. The ideas, questions, and suggestions the community considers can be generated by either the main hub or the essence hub. The information exchanges and decision-making is therefore a two-way process, as opposed to decisions coming from down from the top. Community consensus is reached by unanimous agreement of the main hub members after those members have received the unanimous agreement of their own essence hubs. That's our very definition of consensus. To aid the community to come into consensus, a communication system is available which allows anyone in the community to address the main hub while simultaneously the proceedings of the main hub can be shown to all the essence hubs. See how do we communicate for details. When the main hub meets to make decisions that concern all residents, the essence hubs meet at the same time. Through the use of technology, each essence hub is able to communicate with their main hub representative, and each person also has the capability to address the whole community if needed. If we are to truly do consensus, it is necessary that everyone has the capability to be heard. In my experience with consensus, anyone could at any moment have the inspiration that changes everything and leads us to a far better decision. Main Hub has the final say in all decisions, and in consensus decision-making, that's still really all of us. Management Form coordinates the efforts of the 12 focus hubs in implementing the community plans and activities. Management Form and the focus hubs work under the direction, guidelines, and the budget passed by the Main Hub, so we're working under ourselves rather than some power structure. Main Hub decides upon an annual vision to establish a direction and budget for the years to follow. Management Forum proposes and presents an annual vision to the main hub. Let's see, The an, um, annual vision time starts a week-long conference where everyone gives input through their hubs. Sounds like fun, sort of like a party with a purpose. The Management Forum works on the practicality of the vision. The main hub may change the vision budget at any time when the conditions warrant. The hub group meeting format for support, to create a harmonious atmosphere at the start of each meeting by doing a centering process and having a time for personal sharing so each person is heard and supported. Because people bring their baggage from their lives into the meetings, giving them a chance to be supported and to place any disturbances into the light, so to speak, brings people more fully pre present so the meetings are more productive. To give everyone the experience of being listened to and understood, in my experience, when meetings are not going well, there's almost always a safety issue. A person is just not feeling safe inside, either within themselves or with the group. At the bottom of it, and taking the time to deal with that can move us quickly from a, st a stuck, tense, or uninspired place. Often it just takes acknowledging the safety issues and sometimes sharing a little about it. Checks and balances. Decisions are unanimous. True consensus by its nature is the ultimate check and balance. Each resident is a member of both an essence hub and at least one focus hub, so there is a duality of perspectives. We loved it when we came up with this. Since we each belong to at least two different hubs with different perspectives, it's sort of an internal check and balance within each of us. In our society, we need to not be so attached to our own ideas, but instead have a greater flexibility and openness to all ideas and to build on all ideas to react to the best possible decisions or reach the best possible decisions. There is an annual vision and budget with allocations to focus each area. The management form reports to the main hub on a regular basis. The monthly financial statement goes out to everyone. All transactional and meeting notes are community accessible on computer and other, or other media. Um, an accountant in the consensus hub monitors the community expenditures. 
Budget, budgets may include one time, one check, one item, and or one payee spending limits above which one must get approval from the main hub. Okay, I'm just going to kind of skim through some of this stuff because I doubt it's coming over so well for people listening. But also, remember that leadership is rotated, giving everyone an opportunity so that we don't reproduce our society's modus operandi of having the same small group of people involved in leadership. Everyone has leadership potential. Styles may differ, but with support, people can blossom and be very effective and often add something special to the group. Dispute resolving format. Win-win resolutions are encouraged. Since our group wrote this, I've had lots of experience with consensus in many and diverse situations, and I've seen this outcome every time. Personal responsibility is encouraged by looking within first within the consciousness that we create, promote, or allow everything that happens to us taking personal accountability for our lives. Then, if clarity is still needed between the parties involved, the disputes are settled by the following flexible options, always bringing in loving and creativity. A, between the parties involved. B, with an agreed-upon third party. C, within the hubs. D, by the main hub. This system is flexible with each situation, and the parties involved can choose the options. And again, win-win decisions can be found with creativity and compassion, if we're going to have peace on earth, sorry about that. If we're going to have peace on earth, it all starts with the interactions in our own personal lives. One, immediate situations, something requiring action within 24 hours or until an emergency committee can be formed, whichever is less, the main hub chairperson calls the management forum chairperson and they gather the expertise they need to deal with the given situation. Two, other emergencies. Main hub chairperson declares an emergency and notifies the residents of the situation, calls an emergency committee meeting, rotating main hub representatives on a predetermined rotation basis. Emergency committee then finds short-term solutions. Short-term solutions are actions to be taken within a one-week period necessary to maintain the health and welfare of the community. The community, I'm sorry, the committee recommends long-term solutions to the main hub. The committee's authority ends up upon res ends upon resolution of the emer emergency by the main hub. Main hub or management forum may, be by a simple majority, override the decision that there is an emergency. This is not an exception to the process of consensus, but rather it prevents immediate action on the part of a person or persons who has been acting without consensus in a perceived emergency. There are designated successors in case there are either immediate or other emergencies are not available. There are a set of maximums of money that can be spent for each type of emergency. The committee authority extends to the short-term solution and they will have and they will make a full report of procedures, expenses, etc. to the next main hub meeting. In this community, a person will not be able to make decisions for the people that are not in the best interest of all residents. Contrast to what we what our current governmental leaders have been doing. As an epilogue to this consensus section, perhaps the biggest export of any of our model community will be this concept of going for the highest good, and consensus decision-making will be a major key ingredient in that. It is unreasonable to expect most people to begin the work consensus right away, or right now. It really does require the commitment to go for the highest good of all concerned. However, as people see and hear about the benefits of working consensus in a community setting, people will become interested in getting training in how to work the consensus process. Consensus can have a transformational effect on relationships at every level. In my experience as a trainer, 
I have seen marriages, families, and businesses greatly improved by practicing consensus. In fact, in one of my trainings, I saw a marriage start to disintegrate right in front of me. Instead of panicking, like my co-facilitator, I thought to myself, how perfect, and I just took them through their crisis by using the very principles of consensus. Since they were committed to their own personal growth, I pointed out to them how perfect it was that this, was hold, that this holding on to positions was happening, because that's what happens in our lives all the time. And that's what's been happening in our society, where we have been at odds with one another for thousands of years. Without making anyone wrong, I simply asked if we, all of us, could start to make, better cho- make other choices, start to, lead, start, to, start to let go of our past hurts, often having nothing to do with the current situation, like the hurts from our family backgrounds, and start to make going for, to the, for the highest good of all concerned bigger than all our stuck positions. Magically, one reached out and then the other. We took a 15-minute class break, and they started talking, and now four years later they have a great relationship. My co-facilitator was impressed. Years of therapy may not have been able to save their marriage. Consensus is so powerful, I have seen many miracles like this. I'd like to conclude this section that relates to how we govern ourselves by saying something about rules. I think that we'll find that the fewer rules we have, the better we'll function. A lot of rules reduce freedom and responsibility. I think we've noticed that the more we try to enforce rules, the more resistant people become. Laws create outlaws. With people gaining the consciousness of the highest good and acting accordingly, we will have need of a far fewer rules. In this country, people lo- people's lives have been virtually enslaved by being at the mercy of overregulation and overregimentation, and the complications of laws and rules that people are the mercy at the mercy of. We have more and more reporting, i.e., income tax is a major annual ordeal, and the government wants more and more information on all of us and where our assets are, etc. People live in fear and of obsession, or, or fear of and obsession about tax laws, taxes, bills, and balancing their own personal finances, while trying to save for an uncertain future. Especially given that the gov- what the government is doing and how many services will still be around. Then, if we want to do something, or if we need to protect ourselves from someone wanting to do something to us, we often, because the rules are so complicated, have to hire a lawyer for two hundred dollars plus per hour to represent us. In fact, our judicial system is now really a throwback to the old trial by combat. You hire a mercenary lawyer, and they hire theirs. Usually the outcome has more to do with who has paid for the best combatant rather than anything having to do with the truth or fairness. In a consensus decision-making system, we don't need to live with with the outside control that has preoccupied so much of people's time and life force. Solutions arrived at where everyone is heard and all needs are considered, have the effect of simplifying our lives and causing us to relax, knowing that we don't have to protect ourselves from others. Our life force needs to be spent with personal growth, making a contribution, service, pleasure, and having fun. Okay, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> that was quite a wordy uh, wordy uh, issue, but I think that there was a lot of good in that chapter. I just think that some of it... Um, probably didn't translate too well to people that were just listening. It looks like something that would be easier to figure out if you're looking at that diagram. But um, anyway, that being said, um, well, Jack, do you want to get started on this, or you know, about as far as comments about what we just saw or, or heard, rather? Uh, sure. Uh, as you said, that's <clears throat> that's without being able to for the visual people to look at the words to see the charts. Uh, that can that can be tough to just try and 
grasp it uh, while one is reading it because it really was quite a uh, quite a process to determine how we could do consensus decision making with 500 people. So we grappled with this for uh, several months, I'd say, meeting every week to come up with with this. And I think if a person reads it over is able to look at the charts, it starts to make uh, a lot more sense. And uh, and also, as one goes through, uh, you're doing a great job reading, incidentally. And as one goes through this, what, what uh, Neil is not reading is the facing page quotes, the cartoons, the charts, the graphs, the news articles that are a supportive material for for uh, what's being said there. But, I, you know, I think it'd be great if you went back to uh, the page 147 and read the quote by uh, Gandhi, because I think that's really, uh, you know. Sure. Uh, 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 you know, I don't think I've ever heard a Gandhi quote that I don't like. <laughs> well, then, <laughs> let me go ahead and read this quote. I do not believe in the doctrine of the greatest good for the greatest number. It means in its nakedness that in order to achieve the supposed uh, good of 51%, the interest of 49% may be, or rather should be, sacrificed. It is a heartless doctrine and has done harm to humanity. The only real dignified human doctrine is the greatest good of all. Gandhi. There you go. Just to fill you in, Bob, in case you were wondering, uh, I, you know, he, he thought that the Jews in Germany should uh, kill themselves, uh, commit mass suicide in order to awaken the world to the violence. Chibi, we can barely hear you, buddy, but you had to bu burst my bubble, didn't you? Yeah, that was that was kind of the point. I just, you know... Uh, well, jeez, if, if Gandhi has a dark side, <laughs> what is Jock Fresco's dark side that we don't know about, guys? His uh, dark side? He, no, uh, I was... I'm, I'm not really sure. You know, I mean, it depends on who you ask, I guess. So supposedly he's uh, another one of Bolt those... member. Yeah, he's, well, no, he's another one of those anti-Semitic Zionist Luciferian Christians. <laughs> oh, and, and he's a reptile wow. alien who doesn't believe in UFOs. So thought I'd get that out there. Yeah, you heard it first here on V Radio, the the dark side of dark of Jock Fresco. <laughs> anyway, yes, yeah, that's actually another funny thing is is that I, I've heard that he is Jewish, which means the idea of him being anti-Semitic is kind of well retarded. But well, I come from a Jewish family, as you know, Neil, and I'm happy to criticize Zionism. In, in fact, Jeff Rentz had me on his show as a guest. And that's all he wanted to talk about is how a Jew boy like me could be critical of the situation for Palestine or whatever. Right, right. At the end of the day, I'm a human being, and that's what matters. Right. You know, I'm the citizen of the earth and pledging your allegiance to the earth and all of its people. But well, let's get back to the point here. All right. Um, so first of all, um, minus all of the hub talk, because uh, as somebody put in the chat room, hubba hubba, um, what did you think of that chapter, GB? Well, I still have a lot of questions. Um, overall, it sounds like a pretty well-worked-out plan for for a community of 500 people or less. Um, although I think I would need some better some some examples, like practical examples of like what kind of decisions are being made this way. 
Um, maybe Jack could throw out some examples of some decisions that they make regularly um, and how that goes on. Sure. Um, obviously, decisions like what color to paint uh, a group meeting room would not be a decision that you'd want to do by consensus, but that would be done by a one of the hub groups that that is responsible for that area, which would probably be how do we uh, how do we beautify our environment and there there's it's obvious that some decisions just are not that important for consensus and and others that affect the well-being of the entire community or the direction of the entire community that these are decisions that you'd want everybody in the community to have a voice and a role in and an input in okay so in other words we're not going to have to worry about trying to achieve consensus over really minuscule things, and that's good. Um, now, I'm sorry, I, I think I heard Dr. Zen piping up. Did you want to comment? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do actually have a, a question more more directly. It, you know, the question is, is the process of consensus, is it, you know, like, okay, let's say a couple um, trying to, to decide over a dinner, okay? Uh, how does that process work from that, and how scalable is that from that couple to the group at large. Uh, sure. As as Neil was reading one of these sections and and it may it it's an important one to grasp that as we did the consensus trainings, we discovered something that I didn't see in any of the other books about consensus decision making, and that is that Almost every time when there was a problem in reaching consensus, it boiled down to that there was a safety issue within the group. And whether it's a group of two or a group of 12, when when the group is having problems, uh, we would stop and do something that we called a safety check, where we'd, where we'd have people uh, from a scale of 10 to 0 uh, or 10 to 1, uh, Ten being I'm just totally comfortable with this group. I could take my clothes off and send the Star Spangled Banner or whatever. Um, to one being I've got one foot out the door already. And every time the group was in a place where they were having difficulty, there were safety levels that were down around four, five, sometimes three. Uh, and And so we would just stop and st stop addressing the issue that we were trying to decide on and just let people talk about what was present within them and and what they maybe saw in the group, but not taking anybody else's inventory or judging anybody else, but just from one's own perspective about what's going on within me right now. And in that process of people having the support and, and to address those issues, uh, people would come up with just amazing things. Like one time with the group that I was working with, they were just totally stuck on, on making a, a decision. 
and they I didn't even lead this, but they they did a safety check and and then each one of them started to express to look inside and express what was going on and after the per- first person did did this and they probably talked for like 10 minutes and and they were things like that there was a person in the group that reminded them of of an uncle that mis- mistreated them as a child or it, it, or somebody else there could have been all kinds of things that or there were all kinds of things that that people related to that had nothing to do with the decision at hand, but had everything to do with what was happening inside the person. And they were not conscious of it until the group created the atmosphere of support to look inside. And we probably spent uh, an hour and a half doing that with these, with the people in the group. And after they were through, they had such, they were in such a place of oneness inside and looking at the issues from a very fresh perspective that it probably took about less than 10 minutes at that point for them to come into consensus where they had been totally stuck before. So there's a lot more to consensus than just weighing in on and examining the issues. People have to have the maturity of consciousness to really do this effectively to be able to look within themselves and and really find out what's going on in there. So what you're saying is is basically if I have an insecurity, saying like let's say let's say the insecurity is basically blocking me to say that uh, I need to you know do something that's with the group. And it, by expressing my insecurity, it starts to open up everybody else's or it starts to get people's other insecurities going and they're saying, oh, whoa, yes, this is the group is saying that we have this general insecurity about what's being perceived about this decision and that we're all working as a group to misplace or dislodge this insecurity to make sure it's a safe place to make this decision going forward. Well stated. Yeah, I was just going to say that it seems to me uh, that the ego would be one of the biggest things you'd have to to deal with here. You'd have to create a circumstance where everybody feels that their ego is being respected and um, at the same time, you know, like once those insecurities are out of the way, you find that people become less interested in bullying or or pushing people around. And some of that is in the language you use. Like as a moderator on TeamSpeak 3, I've been trying to focus more and more. And rather than just telling people, hey, cut it out, I've been trying to say, hey, this is why you should cut it out. You know, when you say things like you'd have to be stupid to believe that, then you're automatically shutting the other person down. If your goal was to try to get the person to listen to you. That was not the best way to go about it. (laughs) Neil, I think that's one of the reasons why I'm such a big fan of the Trivium these days. Do you guys know about the Trivium? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, the Trivium is systematic, critical thinking, logic, rhetoric, and it's a means in which we can establish wisdom and look into things uh, without accepting a thought, but at the same time being able to entertain a thought and keeping an open mind and knowing when to recognize logical fallacies, 
uh, like the various logical fallacies we see on a daily basis from the mainstream spinsters. Uh, so I think if we have the tools as well as the different conditions in which we're not in a constant state of my shoes are hipper than your shoes and how much money uh, equals how uh, powerful you are and you know this constant hierarchy and constant power struggle that we're in currently with our system, post-scarcity, post uh, the Federal Reserve, endless debt, slavery, in a world of abundance. I don't see these similar sort of uh, ego things coming up as much. I I hate to sound Pollyannish, but I don't think they'll come up. And we know that to be true when we observe animals' behaviors under conditions of scarcity versus abundance. So what makes us think that we'll act any differently yeah, that's an excellent point, Bob, and and I would add to that that you know because we you know as I was kind of saying about the ego and you know that's one of the major things that hinders conversation and in you know in intellectual conversation and exchange is that you're so terrified of being wrong. Peter pointed this out in Zeitgeist Addendum, and I bring it up all the time because I think it can't possibly be better uh, pictured than just that picture of those clay figures, and one of them's off by himself, and he has his head down, and the rest of them are all looking at him, and you can just imagine in your head that all those people are laughing at him or something. People are so terrified of being wrong. Um, and within our school system, we're, and rather than encouraging people to be willing to put their hand up, you're actually discouraged from exchanging. You're discouraged from Hey, Neil, did you see that valedictorian speech that that girl gave? Which one? The, the valedictorian in which she really did a great job of expressing her her. I guess, dissatisfaction with the education process. Uh, John Teller Gatto is a really great resource on this. There's a lot of people out there that, you know, say there, there's a, a, a different source of education in which everyone isn't equal like in our current system. This compulsory education in which they ring the bell just like Pavlov would ring the bell for the dogs, uh, complete mind control and conditioning, uh, and that's why I, I refer to the university that I study philosophy at as my corporate condition camp. The I irony in that in which I don't use it for that. I use it for uh, the education process, the true liberal arts. And, and don't be afraid of the word liberal, folks. That word was originally meant to refer to free mind, you know, this process of wanting to really have access to true wisdom. Uh, I, I digress, but but I guess you know the point was Neil that there is this education alternative that I think will be realized once we get out of our current price system, scarcity system, whatever you want to call it, and I think we're moving in that direction despite the uh, the ignorance from the masses. That YouTube video that I mentioned with that girl's valedictorian speech, and if you haven't watched it yet, folks, you really have been living under a rock. It's an amazing talk she gave. That had 500,000 hits, and, and that tells me that uh, people are ready to make some changes. Well, I'll tell you what, Bob. Why don't you do us a favor and uh, and dig it up, because what's going to happen is I'm going to get a dozen emails from people asking for the link. Dig it uh, up yeah. and, and drop it in the chat for me while the rest of us are, are continuing the conversation. Um, sure. But the point that I was trying to get at is that the kind of stuff that you're talking about, I think, is, is a big hindrance to people working together. We create a circumstance where everybody is set in competition against one another. 
they're constantly, you know, weighing their their, you know, their betterness over someone else and it makes it impossible for people to work together cooperatively as much as they should and you know, it's funny is that I see that already like um like just the other day my, you know, my daughter finally has some local friends and they came over and uh, they got angry about her, you know, at her about something, so they yelled at her and made her cry, and I, that was it. I kicked them right out of the house. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, your mom's coming to get you. You have a nice day, because I just, I don't tolerate that kind of um, energy entering my child's life, because I don't want her to think that it's appropriate for a group of people to gang up on somebody and, you know, and make them feel a certain way. That's, I've almost gotten to the point now where I, I recognize pretty much all aggressive conversational styles as being brainwashing. You don't think of it that way, but you're trying to shame somebody into going along with you. You're trying to scare them, you know, into not agreeing with them. And these are all the that's all the safety stuff that Jack's talking about is you need people to be to feel safe. The funny thing is that's true even in like martial arts training. I was watching a video of a guy who trains people how to sword fight in the SCA and that's play fighting. And as a society for creative anachronism, they you know they do mock sword battles. And uh, one of the things he said is that before he can effectively start his class, he has to make sure everybody feels safe. You know, he says to make sure that everybody is relaxed and, and therefore willing to accept new information and um, you know, that the safety issue is extremely important. And that's why even within, like, my own leadership style that I've described on other shows, uh, it was very important uh, that everybody within my group that I was leading felt comfortable and safe and felt able and willing to participate, was encouraged to do so. And anybody who leads a situation like that, ironically, their job is to uh, destroy the concept of the alpha, just annihilate it. Your, your job as alpha in a situation like that is actually to make sure that everybody is equal and is able to give their, their say. Um, and it's it's funny, you know, also that Jack pointed out in the book was he was talking about how, you know, if, if you're not careful to... The more uh, this is why you have to be ready for it. You can't just try to turn on consensus and think it's going to work. If if the people in question are not ready for it, then all that really happens when you get rid of the official authority figures is whoever happens to be the strongest personality will just run everything, and it'll look like it's consensus because you know well after all nobody's officially in charge. But you know but that Bob guy he you know not you meaning and just using the name in question. You know, he's he's a really assertive personality. I guess I better let him have what he wants because I wouldn't want him to start punishing me in front of everybody. You know, we we talked about that in the uh, the ad hominem show that we did, and we talked about it in the Inside the Mind of a Troll show. You know, is that literally these people who are being assertive are trying to deny you your ability to think. And now that you've talked about the trivium being about logical fallacies, I know what you're talking about. And yeah, that's a really good series on YouTube. Exposes all the logical fallacies. And you really start to understand where where they come from. People do these things out of fear. They 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 use logical fallacies out of fear because they want to distract away from the fact that they're losing. They're so terrified of looking wrong that they'll throw an ad hominem at somebody. You know, we'll be discussing whether or not we should use the color blue or the color red for a room, and the guy won't like is you know the the conversation won't be going well for him. So suddenly we're talking about the fact that one of the people in the room is fat. Your you name's know. Neil. That's right. My name's Neil. <laughs> <laughs> what kind yeah. of moron has the name Neil? Yeah, that's why my opinion about the color red is is irrelevant because my name is Neil. It's stuff like that, you know, uh, dumb stuff. And the funny thing is, is, it's not just that the person's trying to be mean; it's that they're trying to move the conversation away from what's actually going on. That's that's the really dangerous part of it. And so that being said, um, 
Now, Chibi, you said you had more questions. What were the ones that you had? Yeah, is my mic working any better? Actually, yeah, you sound a little louder, but go ahead. Okay, I was just testing this one out. Um, oh, man, I had a question in my head, and then uh, let me think for one moment. We can hear him now. It's amazing. All right. He's still thinking. Are you ready? Do, 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 do. I thought you might go on to something else. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, I was wondering, this is a, for Jack again, um, since it's his book. Uh, this model that you're discussing, uh, when you're promoting it in the book, is this is an idea for how communities can work, or is this model of consensus something you'd like to see on an even larger scale, like, say, a whole country or the whole world or... Um, or have you not really thought that far up or like what, um, I'm just wondering, um, is this something you've just developed for your group and, and something you want to share with others or is it something you want to promote in another way? Does that make sense? Uh, sure. I think it's, I think it's something for, for the planet and uh, I think it's something for relationships, uh, between two people, relationships with with working with any group, I think it's even about one's relationship with within their their own selves in terms of are we in consensus with with how we're going about making decisions that just involve us and the various parts of us that are involved with with those things. So yeah, I think it's applicable to everything and in in chapter five in the book, when we deal with uh, community clusters, and then chapter six where we deal with communities uh, around the planet, I I think that there is a way that we could uh, do consensus with the entire planet. Uh, and but again, it requires consciousness to do that. Uh, I I would hear from people who communities that would say to me that they tried to do consensus decision-making and it didn't work. And and I'd say, well, what happened? They'd say, well, there was one person who just would always block everything. And the question is, did you do any training before deciding that you were going to use consensus? I was, no. Did you screen the people? Uh, no, they were already there, and then we just decided to try and do it. Well, Diana Leaf Christian, who also does uh, some uh, brief consensus trainings and consensus work with communities, she says something in her observation of communities that, that I totally agree with and that I've said independently myself, that if you haven't been trained uh, in consensus decision-making, don't attempt to try and do it. And... Uh, in a community such as what we're describing, it's not only important to be trained, but it's also important that we screen the people for holding that consciousness of the highest good and for the ability to do consensus decision-making. And so we've got a whole screening process that's, uh, that's explored in, in another part of Chapter 4 here under the section, How Do We Expand Our Community? And that's an integral part of of what's necessary to do this. Now, when I go to presentations and I'm listening to people talk about eco-villages or what has to happen to transform the planet, I'm listening for two things primarily. One is, are they talking about doing something 
that's not part of this every person for themselves approach to how we got go about life on the planet because I and I agree with Jacques Fresco about this. We need a resource-based economy. We don't need an economy that's uh, based on a, a financial monetary exchange because that monetary exchange is so incredibly inefficient and uses up the planet's resources. And two is, are they talking about the consciousness of the highest good that is going to be necessary for people to live in a way that is the antithesis of the every person for themselves approach. You know, that's an excellent point. And it seems that monetary systems will tend to, uh, I mean, it, well, it pits everybody against each other. You know, it puts you in a position, you know, just like Jacques says and Zeitgeist Addendum, you know, it's hard to trust people in a monetary system. I don't know if, you know, if he says my kidney needs to come out, is he trying to pay for a yacht or does my kidney need to come out? I mean, that's an extreme example, but still, you know, and I found that, like, my friendships, for example, don't go into business with friends or family, man, because if things go bad, it, it ends up really destroying those relationships. I watched a documentary not long ago that was about live-action role-playing called Darkon. And uh, there was a parting question where there's this group of brothers and they don't talk to each other anymore because of what happened with their father's business. You know, and so now we have essentially the, the father passed away and, and he gave a little bit of the business to everybody. And, and through manipulation, one of the, you know, one of the guys got a hold of the you know, majority of the business and pushed the other guys out. And now that it destroyed their family. You know, that's an example of how money can, can really be a problem. We, we also did a previous V radio show about the effects of money on divorce and how uh, money in of itself ends up being blamed. I believe it was for like 43% of all divorces. I'd have to go back and look it up. But, you know, where the, the people were asked, well, why'd you get divorced? And the first thing out of their mouths was, well, we had money problems and it caused stress. You know, I, I feel it in my own house. Like when it looks like I may, you know, I may have trouble with the bills or whatever, maybe donations are dropping off in a given month or something, and I'll be, you know, I'll just be really stressed out. It'll affect my relationships with my kids and everybody I know and talk to, you know. And it's it's all. And then the funny thing is, is you get this this brief moment of elation as soon as you, you know, put all the bills in the mail. It lasts probably about, I'd say, a day, <laughs> and then you're thinking, now, how am I going to do this next month? Um, so those are all things that I feel really inhibited. And, and I keep coming back to, like you said, that one person who blocks it or whatever. And, you know, it's like the idea that you, you can have this person whose ego is so powerful, you know, or maybe, you know, maybe it's weak, actually, because if it was a powerful ego, they wouldn't they wouldn't have to do this. But they, they want to be right so badly that they'll do it at the expense of everybody there. And that's that would be the only thing I'd be concerned about, because I've seen this happen in the past where, People will suggest, well, why don't we just get rid of authority figures and we'll just all kind of come to a consensus and everything will be fine. And then you come to find out these people have already maneuvered themselves into positions politically within the group without any official backing, of course, but socially they're already in charge. They're already running things. So, of course, they want to go to a nobody's in charge model because they've already um, illusionarily, basically behind the, behind the scenes, their obfuscation already taken charge. And... Um, you know, and you're gonna, and, and that that is an interesting point. You know, is that if it comes down to it, you know, and you know, it's something like that, and you, you have a guy who's just not going to get it. I guess what you're getting at, Jack, is to prevent that. Is that these these kind of people, first of all, like you said, screening is like, can we even involve this person in the first place? And then second of all, um, is training, you know, to teach everybody. You know, and I guess that that's an interesting question I'd like to ask. Is so. 
What do you do with a personality like that if you're going to train them? Well, a person person has to be motivated to to want to um, experience this. I mean, there was there was one training one time that we did where we were working with with uh, with a group, and and there was a person in the group who just. Uh, couldn't deal with it, and and he was the the one and only time that a person left the group is he he left the group because and he was just not ready in his consciousness to to deal with uh, working with a group of people. Right. Yeah. So I guess you've only had that that happen once, is what you're getting at, or is it just? I mean, there was no approach that would have worked. Um. There. Uh, yeah, I think there's approaches that'll work, but there's it, it all depends on the person's willingness to go there. And if a person is not willing to go there at that time, then perhaps it's just not their time to participate in, in a consensus format. They may have to go and, and have more life experiences before they get there. So uh, I, I'm not judging that as, as right or wrong. Uh, because a person, you know, everybody's got a different life path, but for the to live in a cooperative community that's that's based on the highest good, certainly the people have to have the mature consciousness to be able to do that. And it's not at this particular time; it's not for everybody. But I think what will happen over time is that when these when this demonstration model gets established, a community of 500 persons and then a cluster of community where there's 3,000 people in one place doing this and people can see the benefits of being a part of this and the benefits of of progressing their consciousness to the point where they can do consensus decision-making and and mature enough to to realize that their actions need to support the highest good of, of all rather than ego agendas, then I think that's what's going to cause people when they see this, this more abundant and happier, healthier lifestyle that's available to them. It's like, Oh, I want to be a part of that. What do I need to do to get from here to there? And Oh, if I need to start working on my consciousness, I'm willing to do that to be a part of this. So, uh, you know, we don't want to force anybody, but people will, uh, over time, uh, act out of self-interest to be a part of this, and and that means maturing consciousness. Yeah. Now, well, um, uh, go ahead, Dr. Zinn. Oh, yes. Uh, I guess the question is, now, is the uh, process of selecting uh, the groups, uh, I guess, one of the hubs, uh, the consensus making now is that is that process dedicated into a whole chapter or is that kind of touched on in this chapter? The process of selecting people to come into the community is 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 in um, is in the sub chapter uh, in chapter four. Uh, as I said, it's it's the very last one actually called "How do we expand our communities?" So that selection process. If that's what you're referring to, is is dealt with later in the description. 
if you're talking about the selection uh, or the, how people organize themselves into the the essence hubs, which are groups of people you want to work with uh, that that are support group that 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 deal with um, you know kind of general community issues and directions, then those are more self-selective and 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 then the focus hubs, which is the the 12 areas of the groups of, of that involve the the workings of the community, people would be involved in those just by virtue of what work they're they're doing within the community or outside the community. But you know, I generally I'm thinking like, okay, how can how can I, I apply this process to the current uh, zeitgeist movement? You know, how can, you know, we as a community to become more um, consensus-oriented, you know, over broad for the mo- uh, over the movement? Now, so. Chibi, I know that you had a, uh, you wanted to disagree with something I said earlier, so go ahead before we get too far off topic. Uh, yeah, well, well but- I don't remember the exact example that you gave, but it had to do with, uh, well, really, the whole consensus model, I do have some disagreements with, uh, and it depends on what we're talking about, what kind of decisions, um, because I don't think that everybody agreeing is always a good thing, and I don't think the one person blocking it is necessarily wrong. Uh, It depends on what we're talking about. Um, You know, if you have, I mean, there's plenty of examples where everybody would have agreed uh, on any particular thing, and one person might have said something else, and he was right, and he could have demonstrated that he was right. But in this consensus model, it, it uh, I mean, where do you, how, how do you determine that this person is just blocking and just being a pain in the butt or that maybe he's got a point and he might be right or she, sorry. Um, and by what method would you decide that? And of course, you know, uh, we tend to promote the scientific method. Uh, but I'm I'm wondering, you know, Jack, what you would say to that. Yes, thanks for for bringing this up. As Neil read in one of the examples, because we chose to do everything by consensus, and this was a group where we were just training ourselves to work with consensus, but we were a group of friends, so we had that going for us. But uh, there was a person, uh, a woman in our group, Neil read the description, where she, she worked out off of her intuition. And when we would come to something and she was not in agreement, she would just say, you know, this, we would get all excited about it so we could move on to the next thing. Like, yeah, this is great. And she would say, you know, we'd be checking for consensus. And she'd just say, that's not it. And we'd say, what do you mean this is not it? What's wrong with it? She couldn't tell us because she was working off of her intuition. And so We'd just put it on hold. We'd come back the next week, and we'd we'd think like, okay, maybe in the in the weeks that's passed, she's changed her mind, and we would come back and revisit the issue. And it's like, it's not it. So we'd go, ah, and we'd be frustrated. And then, you know, just out of uh, out of just because we were we couldn't go any further, so we'd just start coming up with wild ideas and and throwing things out there just to be funny and the absurdities and stuff. And then somebody would say something that had some kernel to it. And, and then it's like, Oh, and then we just start building on that and building on that. And, and soon we would get to a whole other 
level that we weren't at before, and then she would say, this, this is it. This is what where we needed to get to. And so after over time, we we grew to uh, to respect that. And there's accepting consensus decision making, intuition like that is not respected or valued in any of the governmental kinds of decisions that, or even group decisions that are going on right now because they're just not given the freedom and the support to hold in that position. And and we did that. Um, now, to address an issue where where there's a person who might hold a position that that blocks the group from going any further, I mean, who knows what, what the reality is there. That person may actually hold the key or that person, person may be in their stuff or in their karmic issues or whatever. So in the consensus training, we have a process that we call truth versus stuff, and we've got a whole description that we read about that. And we invite everybody to take the, the opposite position from where they are, where if it's you and I having a disagreement and I'm holding a, a position, then then I would take the position that, uh, okay, well, Chibi is in his truth and I'm in my stuff. So if I'm in my stuff, what's going on inside me that I'm not seeing this? And then I And I examine it from that perspective, whereas you do the opposite from your perspective. And when we have done that, uh, we've been able to, especially in an atmosphere of loving and safety and support of the group to where it doesn't matter, uh, you know, what's going on. A person can be loved and supported whatever their position. And, and within that freedom to explore, we have uncovered what it was that was the block there. And again, this could be something that has nothing to do with the issue itself. This could be something, or it could have everything to do with the issue, or it could have something to do with with that you remind me of of somebody that, uh, uh, you know, I wasn't even aware of this, but somebody from my past that where I was really hurt, and so I'm not going to agree with, with anything that you're supporting because of that. And I, I didn't know that that was what was going on inside me. So thank God that that came out. So, yeah, that's actually what I was going to say is that I guess these kind of situations would put you in a position where if you did have something like that that was hindering you, like maybe, you know, maybe you had a, an abusive father and, and your abusive father was bald. And, and there's this one bald guy in the group that uh, is not your father may have nothing in common with your father, but there's something about that, you know, that person being bald that sets you off, you know, and maybe you're not aware of it and it's blocking your ability to, you know, to communicate with that person. Those are the kinds of realizations that would have to come about. And uh, now, and these things, Neil, these things happen all the time in our everyday lives and we're not aware of them. Uh, you know, we've all got these kinds of things. Well, I don't know. I don't want to make a blanket at today's statement, but I would guess that most of us, if not all of us, have these kinds of things that are going on that we're just not aware of. And we see things and we judge them. And and it's because of something, some 
some, I, uh, I, you know, unresolved I, I, issue from our past. I was really thinking more along the lines of uh, technical issues. Like, um, I'd take an example that just popped in my head would be, say, the SETI program, something that a large majority were against, uh, that wasn't funded, things like that. Um, in a society based on consensus, where everyone's saying, no, that's a pie-in-the-sky waste of money, so on and so forth, it wouldn't be done. And yet the people promoting it or the very few or it could just be one person promoting it isn't, you know, basing it on intuition or whatever. He has scientific reason to want to do that research, um, but it wouldn't be done in a consensus model because uh, I guess, well, I don't know, maybe it would. That's that's kind of what I was wondering is how would things like that be worked out in a consensus model? Uh, but I, I was thinking more along technical issues than, say, disagreements between two people that you know, I, I agree with you that, that that happens, too, where you just have two people butting heads. But that's not the kind of issue that concerns me as much. Well, when people are stuck in that kind of a position, when I'm facilitating, I usually re- repeat this to the group that part of the essence of consensus is creating. So just in the SETI example that you're bringing up, I mean, if we were to bring in creativity there in terms of how people go about this, we would shift into a whole other exploration level where things could be could be done that don't even necessarily involve uh, funding. So, you know, it's like, let's, let's bring in some creativity to the process rather than thinking that that it's just that we have to make choice A or choice B. Maybe there's a way that we could do every that we could get the needs of of everyone if we just brought in more creativity. So it ends up being also a, a point of uh, rather than forcing one person to accept the answer that most of the people in the situation have, you know, have have agreed to. You're, you know, basically, you're going to be in a position where, well, okay, well, we're being blocked here, so let's come up with something more creative, and that therefore leads everybody to agree. Perhaps there's an alternative, like you said, that that Plan C that maybe people are not thinking about that you could reach, you know, through communicating and trying to come up with alternative ideas, then you could reach something that's different, perhaps than anything that was put on the table. Then, as long as these people are honest with themselves. I also see a lot of self-awareness would be very important here. Uh, A lot of awareness of one's own issues and how they affect yourself. That's actually the essence of humility, really, is not knowing, it's not just thinking, oh, I'm terrible. It's, It's having a strong understanding of one's weaknesses and how they may interfere with one's, you know, day to day living. So for that reason, for example, I just avoid mathematical questions. So if I'm in a consensus group and I realize I'm weak in that area, then I'll probably be more apt to go, okay, well, I know that the people here are a little better at this than I am, so I'm just going to go ahead and let them do this. And if I come up with something later that I think is a problem, then I'll let them know. Rather than being a, a belligerent person who would just insist on having their nose on absolutely everything, even though they're incompetent at it. That's something that... uh. I think a lot of people would need in order to make this work, and I and I and I see also though like when you point about it going to a global scale, it it's kind of a different way of people learning to communicate with one another. Uh, on yesterday's show with uh, Stefan Molyneux, one of the things he said was that there are people who have obviously in their history 
been uh, verbally or mentally abused, and as a result, they don't know how to interact with people outside of that paradigm, and that's where you get trolls. You get people who just they they cannot seem to interact without being mean to each other. Uh, and in those instances, those are the kinds of people who may not realize that they're even doing it. It's because to them, that's just that's just normal. Uh, and I guess that's uh, you know what I see is is that it, it could definitely be a, a shift of consciousness, but it would require some patience on the part of everybody there, and it would require you know like that's another reason why I said when I create my own leadership styles of consensus, I guess is what you've told me anyway. It sounds a lot like what you said consensus was, but. Uh, wherein I, I make an environment that's safe so that everybody it, within feels totally capable of saying, hey, you know, I don't feel so good about this. Do we really have to do it this way? You know, I, I have this inhibition or I have that that inhibition as opposed to just sitting there quietly accepting it and then just slowly building up, you know, an attitude about it over time that later on explodes. It, it is important also, this is another thing you pointed out in the book, to reemphasize to these people over and over again that, this model will be good for them. It's like that. I think we talked about this in one of the first shows you and I were on, that, that film, A Beautiful Mind, where they're all at that bar, and there's this one hot blonde girl there, and then there's a lot of you know decent-looking girls. Uh, yeah, you're laughing. You know what I'm talking about. You know, and, I mean, it's a bit of a vulgar example, but he basically decides, no, none of us should go for the blonde. It's the only way we'll all get laid. And he lays it all out. And uh, but he points out, you know, the funny thing is, is, is like I said, it's a vulgar example. But um, what he was getting at was, is that what people need to recognize is that sometimes, in fact, often, uh, in order to do what's best for yourself, you're doing what's best for yourself and the group. Uh, you know, because you know he gave he laid it out a lot better than than I am now. But it, you know, if you've ever seen this movie with Russell Crowe, for those of you who are listening. You know, go to the scene where he's in the bar because that comes up with his theorem that he ends up winning the Nobel Prize for uh, was based on the concept that, you know, people need to understand that when I say let's do what's good for everybody, oh, yeah, did I forget? You know, don't forget, you're part of everybody. <laughs> so it's good for you, too. Uh, and And that is preferable to, you know, game theory where we're forever fighting one another and we hope that we come out at least decent because we're shooting for being better than everybody else. There's no yeah, risk in it. There's no risk in it everybody for themselves or everybody for I'm sorry, the greatest good for all model. Yeah, part part of that uh part of what was presented in that movie also was and was his treatise on say you have a community and there's there's a street that divides kind of 50% of the communities on one side of that main street and 50% of the community is on the other side. Let's let's say that Main Street runs right through town and most of the shops and stores are on Main Street, and then there's the center dividing street. Let's call that Grand Street. So we have a service station on one side of town that's in the middle of that, ta- uh, middle of that half of the town that provides uh, convenient gas for most of the people on that side of town. And then you have a service station on the other side of town that's conveniently located right in the middle of that side of town, and they conveniently provide gas to the other side of town. But then the one service station thinks, well, in order to get a competitive edge, I'm going to move my service station right on Main and Grand so I can not only get all of my side of town – 
but I can also pick up some of the customers from the other side of town. So then the other service station owner thinks, well, I'm going to do the same thing. So he moves it right across the, the street from the other person, and then the community kind of screwed because the people on the far reaches of the community have to come all the way into the center of the town town to get the gasoline. And this is an example of what happens when people don't use consensus decision-making, where they don't use a resource-based economy, that we end up just squandering resources uh, as a result. Now, I guess Chibi still had more questions on, on this issue, so go ahead, Chibi. Uh, yeah, I just didn't feel like the uh, either I didn't understand the answer or uh, maybe I'm misunderstanding the entire way. I, I I think this consensus model, when I think of a small community deciding whether or not to grow apples versus pears next season, that sort of thing, I'm like, yeah, this consensus model will work great. But when I think about technical issues, I see a lot of problems with it, and that's what I was trying to uh, – I, I didn't – can you give us an example of a technical issue? Okay, like, uh, you know, if I want to, I, I don't know, your com- part of your community says we want to build a, a space shuttle to the moon or something, and then uh, another group, uh, especially if it's based on intuition, says, no, we don't, you know, we don't want to do that. And uh, even if they have no expertise, or, or let's say you're trying to decide solar panels versus uh, wind generators, and uh, a, a group more scientifically literate in, say, this particular area of expertise can say, well, there's not enough wind here or we're in or we're not in the right place in the valley or whatever, or we're not we don't get enough sunlight here or we do, whichever. And and then a bunch of people come along and, and they have their own opinion on how it should what decision should be made. Uh with this consensus model it seems you would get uh it would become really cumbersome and, and cluttered with a lot of you know opinions floating around, especially when I think of the idea of intuition. I'm not sure I understand what you mean by intuition, but um, uh, if I think, you know, my gut feelings are wrong all the time. So uh, I'm certainly, you know, not really in support of the idea of let's go based on intuition. Um, I can see where sometimes intuition comes into play and then you apply logic and um, afterwards and can come up with a new idea. But to base your decisions off intuition alone is, is not proven too effective. Well, um, let's, let's well then let's take that one piece at a time. All right, you can just kind of cover it. I think yeah, two different sorry. issues. And uh, okay, so I guess I, I understand where he's coming from, Jack. And, and obviously, when when somebody uses a word like intuition, the atheists in the audience, you know, their eyebrows go up. I can actually hear it over the mic, even when it's when it's not even you know like within physical proximity, <laughs> you know, and hearing somebody's eyebrow go up is, is, is enough in of itself. But yeah, when you, when, I guess we should define what you mean by intuition. And I know there's the, to point out for like, even from a scientific perspective, I still believe in intuition only because we've seen, uh, you know, like when you're taking a test, a scholastic test, they tell you, you know, to pick the, the first guess that you can, if you don't know the answer. And then they find statistically that you actually end up being more correct. If you do that, then you would just to kind of, you know, to second guess yourself, you should grab that first one. Um, but that's just, you know, that's the reason I still believe that intuition has a function. I think it's usually it's usually reflective of perhaps information that's that's in deeper in your subconscious that isn't necessarily readily available to you. What do you mean by intuition? Yeah, that's the problem with words is, uh, is uh, they mean different things to different people. So, um 
intuition is the 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 woman who I was referring to in the example. She typically worked off of an intuitional basis of, on on her reaction to the world. So she was quite attuned to her intuition and and we grew to respect that in in our group because every time she held to that position and she didn't do it very often but she did it about three or four times maybe and when she did it it always kicked us into something that was so much better than what we were coming up with what what we were willing to settle for before then now it could also be that she could have been uh, in her intuition and, uh, or supposedly in her intuition, and it's because she was in a relationship with somebody else in the group, and 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 somebody else in the group, you know, she didn't want to agree with them, and so she was just running her stuff on another person in the group. That wasn't the case, but it's possible that that could be the case, and given the safety building safety in a group and people being, you know, to stop the process and for people being able to look inside and explore and have the commitment to go for the highest good of of all, then I have confidence that we could move past that. Uh, but, but, you know, I think it's, I think it's sometimes obvious when a person is, is coming from that place where they're just trying to uh, run that on on the group, um, you know. But it's something that it's very individual, and it have to have to be explored differently in each case. In terms of, well, it, it can be explored in the same way, but what the real reasons are might be different in different situations. Right. Uh, yeah. The other thing. Yeah, that hold you, on a second. I think Zin, needs, Zin wants to say something. What's up, Zin? No, I, I, I think this is the perfect opportunity to actually, you know, uh, amongst us four here, uh, to, to just go ahead, kind of like uh, let's let's uh, throw uh, a little process out here. Let's, let's do like a like an improv here. Uh, basically, let's let's come up with the thing that we need to make a decision on, and let's let's come to the consensus. I think, you know, given an example or a walkthrough uh, amongst the group here, I think that would be a, a great opportunity. What do you guys think? All right, improv. <laughs> I like it. Um, well, go ahead and finish what you were going to Okay, what you were going to say as well, Jack. I don't want it to get lost, but... What, well, I, mean, I just want to address uh, Chibi's other point about the technology uh, issue. Uh, in the technology issue, the people who would be making that primary decision would be people who would be in the focus of how do we interact with our environment that uh, that addresses those issues. So we would have people who knew quite a bit about that as opposed to people who were not uh, – you know we're not knowledgeable about those those sources so these people again bringing in creativity in terms of uh what the various options were in producing energy for the community uh we would uh, entrust that group of people to be able to explore that and at the same time if there's anybody else in the community 
who has input into that process uh, that and, or information about that that they would certainly be able to contribute to that. But it's like not all decisions would be made by all all people. We have to leave decisions that that people are knowledgeable to groups of people and to committees or in this case as we describe them to hub groups to take the responsibility for those areas. So there's still a, an issue of I guess it's what you would call the interdisciplinary teams in the in the Venus project model. You still have people who are qualified in a given area and anybody who's skilled in consensus decision-making would recognize that somebody has more expertise in a given area. Um, you know, like, you know, that's what Doug and I, actually, the funny thing is, is when we were reading this whole thing, it reminded me a lot of the most popular V radio show in history, where I had Peter Joseph and Doug Millette uh, and Jock and Roxanne, you know, all on one show. Um, and it was called uh, No Opinions, Reach, you know, Reach Decisions Using the Scientific Method. And, uh, Basically, it was about the, the the fact that you know, it's it if you recognize that somebody knows more about you, you know more than you do about a given topic, then if you know if you're unless your ego is involved, you would recognize that you should just go ahead and defer to the people who know that. Uh, you know that's why Jacques says, by their works you will know them. Essentially, you know if somebody's an accomplished neurophysicist, or, you know, neurophysicist that doesn't even exist, but still. The accomplished, physicist, accomplished <laughs> physicist of some type, uh, you know, then obviously I'm not going to argue with him. You know, uh, I think, you know, and Doug put it, you know, he's like, look, you know, I work on the space shuttle. You know, I, I'm not going to argue with somebody who is a baker about what I'm doing on the space shuttle. But on the same token, I'm not going to walk into his bakery and try to tell him how to make cakes, you know. And, and that's that's an actual, that's it comes back to that point that I made before, was that, you know, you have to have, a, a true understanding of your own limitations so that you can facilitate group conversation and, and you know and real cooperation you know and so it, it is i guess i guess the point would be is that we do recognize that there that even then there is still going to be it, i don't want to call them situations of inequality uh as in so much as just recognizing that certain people have more knowledge in a given area does that make sense uh yeah that's that's exactly it. I mean, I, I, as a community member, I'm going to have trust that the group of people who are uh, handling how to create energy for the community that that they know how to do that, and that they're going to make the uh, synergistic decision uh, that's going to be for the welfare of everybody in the community. I don't need to be part of that. Now, Dr. Zinn, to get back to what it is that you were suggesting, go ahead and restate what it is that you wanted us to do. Now, I just wanted to be sure that that exchange between Chibi and, and Jack was complete. And Chibi oh, okay. told me in his private message that he agreed with me. I just didn't want to get off track, that's all, because oh, okay. he was in the middle of answering Chibi's question. Now, go ahead. I'm sorry. And yeah, well, you know, I, I was kind of like wanting to, to take, you know, uh, an example of, of, of Chibi's, you know, question and, and, you know, kind of like, you know, give a, a thought out example of how that process would go. You know, you know, I'm just saying that, you know, I think it's best to, to, to give an example of, you know, coming to a decision or the consensus of of, of the group here. Okay. It just to, to help the audience to kind of understand, you know, w what is it that we're exactly we're talking about. Right. Well, I guess uh, we kind of basically just did that, and it was through 
you know, obviously, you know, Chibi had reservations at first because he heard the word intuition. We talked a little bit more about how, you know, even then, you know, you're still going to have to have confidence in given areas. And then I elaborated on the point that it's a matter of recognizing that some people know more about, you know, than other people do. And that's why I gave the example I did earlier about I know I have fourth grade mathematics skills. I know I have a learning disability in mathematics. And therefore, I recognize that somebody who, you know, is better than I am in mathematics should be making those decisions. Or if I'm part of a consensus group, that I would recognize that I should probably listen to other people about that and weigh their opinions very heavily, you know, rather than, you know, insisting on putting myself in the middle of it. That's actually one of the uh, quotes from, uh, say, days ago, video capitalism epic fail. You know, he took from one of my V radio shows, which he said that Jock, you know, Jock, he took a quote from Jock saying, you know, people tend to shoot off at the mouth because they're encouraged to do so. You know, and that, and basically that, you know, actually knowing what you're talking about is not anywhere near as important to people as just making a big show of yourself and, you know, and, and centering yourself in the center of attention, being assertive being domineering, you know, making sure that you're heard, even if what you're saying doesn't even contribute to the conversation. And that's a serious pitfall that people fall into. And I think that personalities like that would be very difficult to have in a consensus community, you know, circumstance. You And one would hope, this is another thing that actually that Sapolsky pointed out with his, with his studies about apes, was that you can change the way communities govern that way. And that's why we were talking about earlier that maybe once we get enough of a strong consensus model going on, like you said earlier, Jack, you pointed out that, you know, people seeing it from the distance would be like, wow, what do I have to do to get involved? And and he gave that example that Peter played on a Z-Day when there was this group of primates and all of the aggressive primates in that group died of tuberculosis because, of course, they were the first ones to get to this meat that was poisoned with tuberculosis. And, and, the, and therefore, all that was left within that, that particular primate community was the, the more docile and, and friendly males and then the females. And then what ended up happening is, is it radically changed the way that that group of primates uh, governed itself. And then when other male primates would show up and try to act like you know male primates do in that circumstance, they tried to be bullies and all that, they actually were shunned. Um, and, it, and it caused them to fail socially. And then what they found, you know, what he found when he was observing these primates is that eventually uh, those newer primates who were aggressive beforehand started to realize, hey, this is not going to get me ahead. Maybe I need to chill out. And then they changed their ways. And that's actually, I think, uh, you know, when you, when you brought up the Quakers as an example, they, you know, I've, already, I've told you this off the air. They're one of the most compelling groups of Christians ever. If I was ever to be a Christian, that's the kind of Christian I would be. Um, you know, and within their, you know, their, that film, uh, I I tell people to watch. It's called Angel and the Bad Man, and it's a really old John Wayne film. It's actually public domain now, but uh, he's playing your typical like desperado criminal guy, and he ends up getting taken in by this family of Quakers because he's injured. And by the time the film is over, these people are just so compelling. They're so sincerely nice and caring and loving for one another, and the way they interact with each other was so genuine and sincere that you found yourself highly compelled being like, wow, you know, th these people are so happy. You know, what can I do to be like them? You know, and the funny thing is, is that in order to be happy, you know, the, the, the falsehoods that we are told is to be happy is to acquire at the expense of others. 
And therefore, we continue to do that. And in our happiness, yeah, we get little bursts of happiness when we take happiness at the expense of others. But it's fleeting, and then we just need to go get our high again and again and again and again. Whereas opposed to a community like the Quakers show, those people are happy all the time. You know, And that's actually a funny index, uh, was that there was a statistic done not just for the Quakers, but the Amish. And when you ask these people, you know, how happy are you with life – the percentile of people who are happy with their lives in an Amish community is way higher than it is in a modern community. And it's funny to me because, you know, you, you would ask a modern person if they ever wanted to be Amish, they'd go like, oh, no, there's no way I'd be happy with that. That'd be boring as hell. Yet for some reason in their own lives, they're they're miserable. You know, but these Amish people are not. You know, with, with no Nintendo, <laughs> no Sony PlayStation, no Internet, you know, these people are really happy. And and I've and I've seen that that's possible. And I, I guess, you know, I kind of went around in a lot of circles there, but it was all kind of relevant, I believe, to this. So, um, but uh, uh, I guess th- that was an example, though. However, of how people can adapt to that lifestyle and and and, and learn from it. And I, I wanted to add that Sapolsky example because I think you know that particular group also ex- described that there is no nature as far as like the the behavior even of animals. Um, because in that instance, those you know those chimpanzees changed their behavior entirely. There was a different culture, so the whole concept of that they, that the idea that that aggressive behavior was instinctual was just thrown out the window. Yeah, they they were uh, bab- uh, baboons, and the in- the other interesting thing about that study was that even after all the original members uh, were were gone, who had who had uh, shifted over to this more peaceful existence in, in this matriarchal baboon society that that the, the subsequent generations adopted the, the same behavior and they never went back to the male uh, aggressive male dominated uh, patriarchal group they they remained, remained a matriarchal peaceful group right and that's and I, and I and I hope that you know something like that can spread. You know, I mean, with the Quakers, the funny thing is, is the the warrior spirit in me, you know, meets people like that, and I get these very protective instincts because the first thing that comes into my head is, man, somebody's going to do something terrible to these wonderful people because they're so accepting, and you know, they they don't they don't care who you are. And, but at, but at the same time, the funny thing is, is that that the way that they they uh, the way they uh, comport themselves, you know, you'd have to be a really, 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 really crass person. You know, it's kind of like that concept of, you know, nobody wants to shoot a, you know, shoot a priest, you know, because, you know, why would you do that? You know, it's it's like, why are you shooting an old man or why are you shooting a little girl? Even some hardened criminals won't do that. Um, but anyway, there's, go ahead. There's another interesting example, Neil, is that a, one of my, uh, uh, Co-workers here in Community Planet in Santa Barbara is uh, he does safaris. He leads safaris into Africa, and there is a group in Africa that their culture is: if a person uh, acts outside of the, you know, uh, uh, does something against anyone else, that the entire community comes together. And they sit the person in in the center of the group, and and then they all take take a turn in telling that person 
why they consider them such a valuable uh, part of the group and, and how much they're loved. And that's the response to uh, to the, the person's behavior as opposed to punish them, telling them they're bad or evil or whatever. They just give them lots of loving and, and support, and that's what's been working well in, the, in that community of, of, of Africans for a long, long time. That sounds like an interesting way to handle that. You're basically so you're saying that you know the person who does the victimizing, we just spend a bunch of time validating them and giving them essentially a reason to understand why you know our respect of you should be valuable to you. <laughs> Maybe well, you should change that behavior. No, no, not not that at all. Mm. Just telling them nothing about what they did, but just or criticizing or trying to make them wrong or whatever. Just telling them why they're a valuable part of the community, and how much they're loved and supported. So it's just all positive. Oh, okay. I guess what I was trying to get at is that even through that all positive state, it would really cause that person to reevaluate, you know, their behavior, you know, because it would kind of give them an example of, the well, I don't want to lose this. This is a really great thing that I'm doing here. This is what these people believe in me, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if you understand where I'm coming from. I guess it's more of just exposing somebody to that, really, because, like, I've done that, for example, with couples counseling. You know, I said, so I want the two of you to sit down and write down the ten happiest moments you've ever had together. And they did that, and then then they talked about them, and then all of a sudden the idea of breaking up didn't sound like such a good idea because <laughs> they recognized their value for one another. Yeah, as you explained it the second time, I, I totally agree with with how you how you explained that the second time. Right. I guess that would be it. And you know, it's just also it's like when you recognize that somebody has value for you like that, it, it's you know it has a profound ex, you know, effect on somebody when when you know that somebody respects you and it causes you to be more inclined to respect them back. I think that one of the problems that we have generally in interaction is that we're we're afraid that we won't be respected back. We're afraid that we'll give and and you know it'll just be taken and nobody'll care. And sadly, that's like a disease. It's like somebody does that to you and now you have the disease. So then you turn and you know you you do it to somebody else. You give them the disease. You know, essentially, um, you know it's that's basically uh, something you'd want to avoid. Now, Zen, you've been kind of quiet through all of this. Do you have anything further you wanted to add? No. No, I'm good. <laughs> it seems as though Zen is, is happy with our with our consensus. Well, He's I, in a state of Zen. Yeah. He's there. <laughs> well, I have an idea then. Let's all turn and tell Zen how important he is to this call. <laughs> you know, Zen, your your amazing insight has just been awesome, and, and I'm really glad you're here, man. I, I'm really glad you're here. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is in consensus that sometimes the person who can add the most is that person who sits in the group silently and just creates a loving, supportive atmosphere by just what they're doing within their their consciousness and by saying nothing. So often people when they get into groups feel like they have to like say something and and that can have such an adverse effect on on moving quickly to consensus on particular uh, on whatever issue the group is trying to address 
because people feel like, okay, I've got to have my in- input. If if I if just to say that I support this and then tell a little story about that or whatever, but that person who sits there quietly and is willing to hold for the group, uh, if more people were willing to come from from that perspective, consensus decision makings can be made a lot quicker, and uh, and people have therefore more trust in, in, with the consensus process. You know, somebody here in the chat room is pointing out an interesting instance about this uh, this black priest uh, or preacher or minister or something, and his way of dealing with the KKK was to kill them with kindness. You know, he wanted to kiss and hug them all, and they couldn't handle it, that he was being so nice to them uh, that they couldn't handle it, and, and it caused them to essentially disintegrate. They couldn't. <laughs> it's like, damn it. You know, we're held together by hate, and you're making that really tough, man. <laughs> Cut it out. Stop being nice to me. You're ruining my hate. Yep. That's an interesting point. But um, go ahead. Yeah, there's a. Uh, it's said that the people who can teach us the most oftentimes are the petty tyrants in our lives. Those people who can who can do what they do with impunity, and there's pretty much nothing that we can do or say that's going to affect any change whatsoever. And one of those petty tyrants in my life was a. Uh, uh, that I was living with was well actually there were two there was my my mother when I came back here in the end stages of her life to to support her as I moved back to Santa Barbara and my sister-in-law who was living here at the same time and she for some reason which I I never knew she just kind of in her consciousness she she couldn't stand me I I don't know what it was I couldn't get her to say anything all I knew was that that was what was going on, and then she talked with my mother, and so it was the two of them. And I thought, oh, I've got a couple of petty tyrants going on, and there's there's nothing I can do about it. So, in my consciousness, I just said the only thing I can do is to come from a loving place, to do as much as I can for these people, to always uh, say hi nicely and and never say anything against them. And it took about a year of doing this, and then suddenly the switch flipped, and my sister-in-law was was back and, and, uh, and talking with me as if nothing had ever happened. I never did know what it was that happened, but uh, <laughs> it was an interesting exercise of consciousness on my part to to do that. Now, when in, in in dealing with consensus modeling, obviously, uh, it almost seems like that's that's going to be the way you're going to have to handle everybody that you have a problem with. You know, I mean, obviously, it'll be different because you wouldn't be in a situation though where you know, like a person like your your sister-in-law or whatever, you know, because they they were not inclined to explain to you what bothered them. They were inclined just to, to harbor their resentment and anger for you. But in a, a circumstances of consensus where everybody is free and open to talk about the things that bother them, you end up finding that you know that everybody gets along better, not because they're uh, everybody is just suddenly has everything in common, but because everybody is free to express what it is that's bothering them, and everybody else is compelled to listen to them and try to find a way to make things better for them within reason. Um, I guess it, it just keeps coming back to honesty, really. 
you know, honesty with yourself and honesty with the group and everybody within the group being honest as well. You know, there's so much, you know, I, I tell people this all the time is that I have very few people that I would consider real friends. And, you know, it, most people kind of consider that about quantity over quality. You know, they're like, well, I've got like, you know, 20 friends or so. They all show up to my birthday party. But you don't find out who your real friends are until you have a crisis, like your house burns down and you, know, you need somewhere to stay. You know, your real friends are the ones who show up and, you know, they're taking care of you and they're doing everything they can to help you. And the rest of them are the people who go, gee, that, that really sucks, man. That's too bad, you know. Let me know when you get another house and you're having another party. <laughs> you know. Now, that, now you, you touched on a very interesting issue in that they – I saw a newspaper article where um, it was over a year ago where they had done a survey and people said that the the number of true friends that they could really count on to support them had dropped from, I think, like three to two or something like that. I don't know exactly the numbers, but it was a very low number uh and it may have even been from three to one, but whatever it was, it, it doesn't matter. But it was just surprising how many people expressed that they had so few, so very few true true friends to support them. And that's one of the things that's going to be different in this community is that people will find that they have got a whole community of, of people that support them. Well, that was... I'm sorry, go ahead. The, the, you know, the minimally, they'll be in an essence group, uh, an essence hub, what we call the essence hub of up to 12 people, and those people will actually absolutely be there in support of of a person for whatever is going on with them, and the person will feel like they've got friends that they can connect with and depend on, and it's likely to be most of the people in the community that they have that kind of relationship with. So that's one of the things that's got to change in our society and in our world where separation is perhaps the 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 biggest issue in the world today, separation from within ourselves, separation from others, separation with nature, and that survey showing how few people how few people really feel connected with others. Uh, is just very telling of that issue. Well, that was, you know, to, and to finish my point about that is that what I ended up with instead is like I end up friends with people who are very, very truthful all the time. And <laughs> allow me to put up the disclaimer that that does not always make people happy and wonderful about someone. <laughs> In fact, it's usually the opposite, sadly. In our society full of insecurities, you know, I have two friends in particular, for example, who are known to be very gruff. And in fact, I have several friends who are like, why do you hang out with that um, uh, rectum? <laughs> to put it bluntly, that's not the word they use, but you get the idea. Um, You're not talking about me, are you? No, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> no, no, there are these two friends I have, you know, in, in person, actually, and, and they're both very gruff personalities. And uh, most people, they can't handle them. And one of the things that I found ironic about that, because they asked me, you know, why are you hanging out with this person? They're, you know, they they always say all these nasty things about people, and I said, yeah, well, you know what? Um, realistically, most people have those thoughts on a day-to-day -day basis. They just don't talk about them. They don't spread them openly. And the reason that I find myself able to trust these two people more than other people 
is because rather than me having to spend a bunch of time trying to guess whether or not this person really likes something I'm doing, you know, if if they don't like something I'm doing, they tell me immediately, which to me actually uh, made them much more trustworthy. You know, the fact that they would bluntly tell me, you know, I I don't want to do that. I don't want to watch that movie. I don't want to play that video game. I don't want to go to that restaurant, whatever. Whereas other friends of yours just kind of go, yeah, I guess so. That's, That's great. You know, and then, you know, you can just kind of feel that they're not really into it. But hey, you know, they're your friend and they're there, right? You know, no, I'd, I'd much rather just know that the person that was, sti- you know, sitting there with me was honest all the time. And it, it's not that they were a jerk in that they, it's not that they were saying a bunch of negative things. I think that most people tend to forget that, you know, uh, the average person has a lot of negative thoughts on a fairly regular basis about a lot of things. And they're just not honest about it because our society doesn't allow that. And what ends up happening, though, is when I hang out with these friends, um, I feel much more secure the entire time because I know that the people in question are are in my presence, you know, hanging out with me because they appreciate my company um, and that when they don't like something, they let me know. So, therefore, it's all genuine. And I see that within a community planet setting, although they may not come off as, as negative, obviously, because, you know, you guys have a different attitude about things. I mean, I've talked to you in length, Jack, so – but, but – on the same token, though, people would be much more secure, um, you know, would be much more, uh, you know, willing to be honest with one another. And I think that, you know, and therefore you'd be in a, a situation of, um, you know, of security that would allow you to reach consensus so much better, you know, because if you didn't feel right about something, you'd be more willing to talk about it. And when you talked about it, other people would feel more compelled to listen. Yes, absolutely true. And at the same time, it's important, I I feel it's important how we label our communications. So if I was to say to you, Neil, you're doing this, uh, maybe I'm right, but maybe I'm off. So it would be much more effective to say to you and create much more safety if I say to you, Neil, now I could be totally off. On, on this, and and I think this is what's happening, or this I think this is what you're doing. But the disclaimer that I could be wrong, so that you hear like, oh, Jack's not telling me this is absolutely what I'm doing. He's just inviting me to to look at it, and he's not really attached to being right about what I'm doing. So it gives you more of the freedom inside to to explore that and the and the safety inside to explore that. Whereas a lot of times if people say, you're doing this, uh, it immediately the defenses come up and then the person blocks their ability to look inside and see if that's actually what's going on. Now, with your friends in this example, if you've got a communication culture of doing this, it's probably not necessary because you're at that point of of their safety in the communication. But with a lot of people, I think it's important to watch how we put out our words and to watch the labeling language and to take responsibility for this is the way I see it and I might be off. Well, yes, and that's why I would say that, you know, they certainly could – yeah, they certainly could use some more knowledge of language, you know, to, to be able to be sure that they, their language was not overly 
uh, aggressive so that other people would therefore listen to the truth that they were trying to bring forth. Just like I said earlier, if you speak too aggressively, then people are inclined not to listen to you, and, and then you don't really achieve anything. But, you know, the end of the show really stuck up on us quickly. We're down to the last minute. Um, I want to tell everybody thank you all for, for tuning in, and all my panelists, thank you for calling in. Um, and uh, so everybody say goodbye. Goodbye. Uh, goodbye, TB. Neil, it's been great. It was a great opportunity. Is Bob still there? Uh, no, he, he had to go. But um, And uh, thanks again for coming on, Jack. And, uh, and uh, everybody, if you want to see more about the Community Planet Foundation, it's communityplanet.org. And the book really does have a lot more information in terms of the graphics, the charts, the cartoons, the articles. Uh, and and so if this was a very complicated um, issue that we were discussing, so communicate with me if you want to know more. Excellent. Yeah, I was just going to tell you to go ahead and plug that. But <laughs> All right, everybody, thank you very much for tuning in. I'm going to leave you with some words from Jacques Fresco. What would be the motive in the new scheme for those to work? How would the Venus Project tackle those that are non-compliant? We don't need to tackle them. They can live their own lives. So they don't want to join us. It's just a great advantage for them if they join with us. More resources available. Mm -hmm. There may be nations that may not want to join with us, but sooner or later, the output will be so high, the public will demand that they join. Um, what would be the motive in the new scheme for those to work? How would the Venus Project tackle those that